Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Warrior You Podcast with your host, Bram Connolly. Join Bram as he uncovers what is to be a modern-day warrior on and off the battlefield, covering such topics as human performance, emotional intelligence, resilience, mental toughness, epigenetics, neuroplasticity, philosophy, and much, much more. Warrior You, it's the performance advantage. And don't forget to check out Mentors for Military Podcasts. Hey gang, I have a sponsor and I was challenged to see if I could advertise their product like Joe Rogan. So here it goes. What's up? This week's episode is brought to you by Brother Shave. Yes, we have a sponsor. Seriously though, another amazing veteran business supporting veterans causes. All right, so this is how it works. Visit www.brothershave.com. Their website is frigging amazing actually. Then select a package. I usually get the heavyweight package, six blades every two months. It's like 25 bucks. Next, they get delivered. Yeah, man, for free, no shit. I have no idea how these dudes are actually making any money. Then, and this is the best bit, shave your face. It's that easy. Or legs, I guess, if that's your thing. I've done it before, so it's a thing. Man, these blades too, they are epic. Made in Germany, and they are quality. I used to spend a fortune keeping my baby face smooth, like a ba- baby anyway, whatever. They're better than what you're presently using, trust me. Brother Shave, tell them I sent you for no discount, because I'm not famous, not like Joe Rogan. And yeah, that's a wrap on that, I think. Brother Shave, check him out, guys. My guest today is Justin Huggett, MG. Uh, he's had a great military career and one worth us celebrating here, but for my money... It's the passion he's shown about the army since leaving that makes him one of the most respected soldiers of the modern era. Justin hasn't been scared to throw his opinion out into social media landscape if he doesn't agree with something that is occurring within defence. And I think it's important that we have these sort of people moving forward. Our top brass of the ADF are making decisions, some of them highly contentious and it can be argued you know, perhaps politically motivated. And retired warriors like Justin help to give the soldiers, all soldiers, male and female, a voice. Justin, it's a real honour, mate, to be talking with a modern-day warrior. Thank you um, for having me, bro. Tell me, did you always know you were going to join the army? What's the story there? Um, I'm yeah, sort of like, I hate using big words, but I'm probably that quintessential country bloke. I grew up in Forbes and country New South Wales. Yeah. Deep down, I reckon I always knew I was going to join the army. Like in high school, I think it's like most schools, you have a careers officer in your high school. And I remember... Yeah, how, old, how old are you? I'm 41 now. 41, yeah. right, yeah. So, I so we saw the same ads. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Cook yeah. this so, up for us, Davo. Yes, yeah, but the, <laughs> the thing that sold me on joining the army, believe it or not, like um, in Forbes where I grew up, 
it's it's a huge service community in Forbes. We're represented, you know, on, in our cenotaphs on just about every conflict that Australia's ever been in. And I remember going into my careers career officer's um, office, and I, she was talking about what I wanted to do. And I looked around, and there was that very famous photo from Somalia of the guy with the shaved head. I think he was he's either had his stire slung or he's holding on, and he had his hand down holding the little um, Somali kid's hand. And I looked, and I was like, "Wow, that's yeah. that'll probably be for me." I think. Uh, I think that. Was Shannon McElhaney from One Hour? I think, and he's actually buried in Forbes Cemetery. Right. He was the guy accidentally killed over there. Yeah, I knew Shannon. Yeah, so, I went over on the um, advance party with yeah. him. Yeah, and there's another guy, Matthew Jayat from Forbes, who served in One Hour as well in mm. the Somalia. So there was this relationship already building. Yeah, sure. With inside me, when I seen that, I was like, yeah, I, you know, it's not that you know, oh, I want to go and help people and change the world. I just looked and I thought, yeah, that'd probably be something for me to consider. And then. Lo and behold, you know, the army career truck turns up and they've got all the bells and whistles in the back of it. And mm. I got all the information pack and year two, I knew I was never going to go to university. It was not something that ever interested me. So it sort of, kind of rolled around and I was one of those kids that started school early, whether, you know, I annoyed my parents or whatever it was. But I started year 12 in high school when I was 16 and I turned 17 in March. So yeah. I was kind of young yeah. and I was probably a bit... As a 17-year-old, probably too young, a bit young for a, even for a 17-year-old. So I kind of backed out of it there. Mm. And my dad was a shearer. Mm. So I went and I'd grown up in the shearing sheds as a kid. So mm. that just fell straight into my lap and yeah. I started shearing. So At 17? No, I probably started about 18 and a half. I went away and I worked different pieces. I, I, I loved it's it. A it was, oh, it was a great job. I loved it. It was the hardest thing about it was giving it away. Yeah, But um, I'd done that for about four and a half, five years, and then the whole Interfet thing exploded. Mm. And then, bang, it was in your face and on the news, and I was like, right, I'm, oh, yeah. financially, I'm well set up now. It's a high-paying job for a, for a money-hungry, greedy, young 19, 20, 21-year-old. I'd already brought my first house. I owned the ute that I had, which I still have to this day. <laughs> so, cool. you know, I own my own ute. I had plenty of money in the bank. So, I was in a position where, right, I can do this now. I'm big enough, I'm fit enough, and strong enough now. And, yeah, and then I... Yeah. Went away, got the application, and off I went. You know, and that was, you know, what so Interfet was what end of '99. I was yeah. in the army by the start of 2000. So yeah, right. So you're almost like that's a modern Anzac, really. Yeah, you know? out of the can. I, you know, as I yeah. said, the hardest thing about that job shearing was giving it away because it was such a, you know, make a lot of money. Like yeah. I, you know, as I said, I was 19, 20 year old. I was I could start the week with no money in my pocket and leave Friday afternoon with twelve hundred dollars clear in my back pocket. You know, yeah. for a twenty year old kid. And back I saw then. back. Yeah, I, I didn't get a sore back until the army. I never had a back problem last year, yeah, believe yeah, it or not. So, yeah. but um, yeah. So that just it just fell. That job fell into my lap. Something I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed the travel yeah. and close knit team environment. Everyone pulled their weight. So, and then so the army wasn't as big a shock. Yeah. When I joined, Man, obviously, there's always that. There's shock some back. parallels there. I yeah. joined the army at 17. I was a really young 17 yeah. too. But um, yeah, I went and joined, went and worked on a sheep station in Western Australia. Yeah. Before I. Before I joined, yeah. Oh. So, so some of the hardest. I was stuff like I've ever eleven, done. you know, 10, 11 yeah. year old kid running around the drenching yeah. pack on me, you know, yeah. back in forty yeah. degree heat and yeah. farms. Yeah, it's rem- it's remote. Yeah. It's dusty. It's dirty, yeah. and yeah, and then you get to Kapuka and you get three yeah. square meals a yeah. day. Like, this yeah. is awesome. You know, and yelled at and yeah. you get your bed thrown out the window. And yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a bit of a shock to the system initially, but once you get over, you know, there's that bullshit but, factor that yeah. comes there. But then once that's gone, it's a you know, yeah. I, I, you know, yeah, I, it's not the real army. No, it's no, no, it's, no. it's 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 got its to know that. It's designed to do that. Yeah. It has a you know a purpose to get you into a position to make you successful yeah. as you go along. So 
I respect um, the, I, no, as an instructor at Singleton for two years, I respect the process. So Yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah I respect the process of it. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, and that's something that I, you know, while I make a business out of telling people the process, I guess. Yeah. You know, and guiding young people through. What most people, most ex-soldiers do at barbecues and bloody weddings and shit anyway. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I just happen to have monetized it. Yeah. But, um, but it's a real, you know, it's a real privilege to be able to help people to, to get in. Um, but when you and I joined, well, well, I'm assuming when you joined as well, there was none of this you sessions, you know, this, uh, your, your opportunities unlimited. It was what, well, when I joined for sure, you went to Kapuka and then you were told what job you were going to do at the end of Kapuka, whether you were going to go to, well, during the process of Kapuka, yeah, you were told infantry, like or, yourself or, yeah. infantry or transport yeah. or signals or catering or, you know, band, yeah. well, not such band call, but you know what I mean. You, you know what I mean. Yeah. Where now the kids are like. You nominate prior. I, I, that, I was given yeah. that opportunity to nominate yeah. prior. So, yeah. And it was kind of like pressure put on, you know, especially, you know, not you, know, you go through the infantry process, but it's one of those things where it, I, I guess, you know, in that way that you're talking about, Yep, that's probably a good way so that, you know, you can sort of like get the people that are most physically and mentally, you know, robust enough for those type of roles as opposed to, you know, oh, yeah, I, I want to join the infantry and it's up to the section commanders at the yeah. School of Infantry to weed out the people that aren't, you know. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the process they've got because, you know, you want to be in the army first and everyone should be a soldier first. Well, you I go to Kapuka yeah. and then it's like, then while you're there the section commander should have more of a say in who goes where because yeah. then they can see this guy's really suited for this yeah. as opposed to you know, as opposed to him going to transport, yeah. for instance. This what, guy might be an artillery guy. You know? and I think with that too, you need a supportive, and supportive chain of command. Mm. You know, like I, I got told, you know, like, and I, you know, if for blokes that are listening to this, that there were section commanders and battalions that went to school of infantry, they would have been told by their schema rep, you know, you're going there because you're a subject matter expert. You know, yeah. we need your skills and we need your mindset. And we need your experience. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, if you want to blow that type of wind up my ass, that's fine. I've got to go anyhow. I don't have a yeah. choice. It's even there. You might as well say nice things to yeah, me. Yeah, you might as well, you know, fluff yeah. me up a bit before I go. But then when you get there, and I, and I found this problem, when you find someone that's totally inappropriate, not through any fault of their own, listen, mate, you're just not cutting the mustard. Mm. When I was there, you had to perform a damn near miracle to back squad someone or even have someone mm. transferred out that was going to be a danger to themselves or a danger to someone else around, around you know. And mm. another section commander, I won't mention his name. I'm not sure if he's still in us. I don't get him, get him in trouble. But he was a three RAR bloke and we had to perform a minor miracle to even get a kid trade tested. Mm. You know, we'd done all that. You know, we jumped through every hoop there was. Nice kid, just... You just weren't gonna be You're a guy him. that shouldn't have a slouch hat with a skippy badge on mm. it, you know. You just um, and our, all of a sudden our opinion, you know, we're telling you mm. this guy is not gonna be good enough. Not retest him, mm. retrain him. It's not not his fault. It's your fault. You it's know, instructor's fault. I'm like, that's bullshit. You, you know? know, if he leave, if you if you say goodbye to him and he doesn't make it through Kapuka, he's a veteran. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just yeah, thought I'd raise that. Everyone's now. a veteran after what twelve and a half minutes now, aren't they, or something like that? One so, day, twenty four yeah. hours. Um. Anyway, I digress, and I'm going down a rabbit yeah. hole that I don't want to go down just yet. Yeah. Trust me, I'm going to go down that hole yeah, soon. Yeah, I'll dive down there too. Um, maybe not in this podcast. So, you know, uh, operational experience. Uh, I was very lucky. Mm. Um, I got the two RARs on Tayet Timor trip, so that was yeah. my first deployment. Um, I had a bit of time, like, shadow posted the different things with Op Realex. You know, they sent you yep. out a, a new fancy you know, medal for, I think, what is it, the Operational Service Medal, Border Protection or something like that. It's got yep, cool. the world's ugliest ribbon bar on it. Um, so I had that. Then 
I got a chance to go to the Solomon Islands as well. So I had that. Um, 2006, I went back to Timor when everything went pear-shaped there again. Um, I ended up getting a deputy chief of accommodation or operations accommodation out of that, and which led on to me being given the spot for Long Look in 2007. So, and I was going to get out of the army in 2000, end of 2006, because I was getting sick and missing my chance. You know, at that stage, everyone wants to go to Iraq or mm. Afghanistan and just, you know, things weren't just lining up for me and I didn't think it ever was going to. So I had a really good OC at the time and he just said, mate, do me a favour and hang around. I've got something for you next year. So I hung around and off I went on long look. What uh, rank? Uh, corporal, corporal. Corporal at that stage in 2006. Um, and I went over to the 1st Battalion, the Grenadier Guards okay. at, at Little Barracks. Yeah, cool. Um, out at Aldershot. And I'd got... The, you, don't, you don't want to be a wallflower there. No, no, no. I wasn't a wallflower there. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Um, what I'd done... At the end of 2006, I was heading away on a holiday. I thought, oh, I got the word about this. I got, you know, I might be going on long look and this is who you're going to. And I was originally told I was going to 45 Royal Marine Commandos. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to mm. have a pretty lean Christmas leave here because I don't want to turn up here with a, you know, this elite British unit like a big fat slug and get sent home. So I had a pretty, you know, pretty steady sort of holiday. I had a good holiday to Thailand with some mates and come back and got back into things. And I sent the uh, rear party commander of 45 Royal Marine Commandos, an email to saying, oh, I've got some concerns, um, not concerns for me, I'm looking forward to coming to you guys, but you guys are currently in Afghanistan and I understand you're getting home around that April, May time thing, time frame, mm. um, and I don't want to be a burden on you. So, And then I got an email back, not from him, but from the rear party commander of the Grenadier Guard saying, you know, you got, you're coming over to us now. Okay. I was like, oh, beauty, that's great. So I jumped on and I thought, oh, you know, I wonder if these guys are deploying, you know, and, I looked there and, you know, I said, oh, they're deploying, in, you know, in the summer to Afghanistan. I was like, Jesus Christ, I've missed out again, you know. And yeah. It's like, hang on a minute. Yeah. Their summer's our winner. Ah, uh, penny drops. And I'm like, Be- little beauty. So straight away, email out, you know, is there any chance I can come to Afghanistan with you? You know, I'm yeah. a Mortimer and I'm MSC qualified and all that. And I just got an email going back, you will be definitely coming to Afghanistan with us. We are short Mortimer, we are short MFCs, we are short this, you'll be coming, blah, blah, blah. And they just I, do not give a shit. I went they? on Christmas leave, yeah. mate, and I was kicking goals. I kept yeah. it. was so, the biggest secret I had to keep to myself. Oh, yeah, you don't want to tell people. No, but I didn't want to tell anyone because if anyone could screw that up, it yeah. would be the chain of command in the Australian Army. Man, yes. Without a doubt. Yeah. And they you know, almost did. The only reason I got to go to Afghanistan with the British Army, and you know yourself, when you need to go out of the country, you have to fill out a third a th- was a third country deployment yeah, request, yeah. like TCD. So, yep, you can go. Had to get signed off by, you know, Australia House in London or whatever, and it had written down in, you know, occupation and location, Stormen, Camp Bastion. No. No word of a lie. Sure as I'm sitting here. Stormen, Camp Bastion. And I looked at it and Most I looked at it. decorated Stormen in the face of the year. And I looked not, at it and I said, what the, I said to the rear party commander, this guy, what's his name? Rupert Holtby. His name was, just, what, mm. sir? What? what Stormen? He goes, mate, mate, just leave it. Let's just put it through. It. <laughs> Let's get you on the plane and then we'll sort it. And I literally, I, I spent about 10 minutes in Camp Bastion. I was straight over to where the Grenadier Guards were. That's 2007. Yeah, 2007. Yep. Zeroed me weapon and then I was in a, in the top of a Wimmick vehicle crossing the desert through Goresh into the Sangin Valley and literally, you know, a day and a half later or something like that. And yeah. And and what months were you there? Um, through the whole spring summer offensive of two thousand and seven. So okay. from in no May through to September or something like that. Yeah, so cool. so that was two thousand and seven. Got through that trip and then posted down a single for two years, back to two RA and then deployed to Afghanistan in two thousand eleven. So I had Boom. two Timors, one Solomon. Two Afghanistans and one 
you know, the Savage Border Protection gig up in Darwin, <laughs> eating ice cream. And- do, you see, uh, do you see my mates rolling around at all in 2007, two commando regiment cruising around? No, I Actually, didn't. they would have been uh, four be- hour then. Yeah, I believe they brought a big turbine down to Kajaki. That's right, yeah. So I was between Sangin DC, the Sangin District Centre. So you head out of Sangin and you head towards Kajaki and we were in a little village in a platoon house called Jusalay. Mm. So we stayed in there for the majority of the time. We had a company-sized group of A&A mm. with us. And There's a few people listening now that are hearing Kajaki. Yeah. And oh. they're like, they've either got hairs in the back of the next hand yeah. up or they're excited again yeah, yeah lots it's of bloody uh, yeah. it's the real deal yeah yeah um righto let's do it let's get it out of the way so we can talk about contentious shit yep uh the mg yep tell me what happened um it, it's not something i talk about a lot not because i don't want to or i'm trying to hide well anything. no one's gonna hear it no <laughs> anyway but um Right, I'm just trying the best way to start. You, obviously, you're in you're in safe hands here because I've got a few mates with him. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not worried about that. It's it's basically what happened is you know like when these things are were handed out, you have a little write up and what happened mm. and you know this happened and you know blah blah. I didn't get that mm. because the way that I was withdrawn out of Afghanistan was like in and it's still something that sits crooked with me right now. It was like, oh my god, we've screwed up. This guy shouldn't be there. Let's get him out and try and sweep it under the rug. Yeah. And what had happened was one of the guys that went home on an R&R posted a video of the day that I got that, that well, the day that I, you know, that, that war the was went, yeah, the action yeah. was, yeah. of me filming myself saying that this is the shittest day of my life. We're now surrounded, backed onto the Helmand River. Oh. We've had A&A killed today yeah. where, you know, the Royal Anglians were meant to be here to, mm. to, to back us up. They're not here. We're in, you know, this is just the biggest cluster ever. Yeah. And um, laying down in an irrigation ditch with about that, you know, about a foot of cover. Yeah. You know, and we'd been in, like, in contact literally for 10 or 12 hours, like, nonstop this whole day. Cool. That leaked to the press. Then all of a sudden, because I had a beard and an Australian accent, I'm talking like, you know, the typical Aussie yobbo. Yeah. It's, my parents turned the news on back in Forbes and here, oh, my God, that's my son. No. Like, is that Justin? And my dad's like, no, he doesn't have a beard. It couldn't be him. What the bloody? He's not in there. Yes, it was. Mm. So all of a sudden... You know, yeah. I've got this group of Longwalk headquarters accusing me of breaking OPSEC and they complained so hard about it, mm. they drug out the British military police to interview me over it. Mm. And when they, I said, I'm not saying a word until everyone's out of this room except you and I because this is between you and I. And they kicked everyone out. So it was me and these two British MPs. The bloke reached over the table and shook me hand. He's like, mate, we're not here because you've done anything wrong. We're here because your side's requested us be here. Sign this, do this, blah, blah. You want a cup of tea? And I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, I finally got someone on my side. Mm. I think that that had this flowing effect to where when they've given me this award, it was just, you know, for actions in hazardous circumstances, you know, it was very limited in what it was. So it was kind of like, not confusing for me. I know what went on that day. Now that that's kind of like the background of it, what happened? This yeah. is what happened. Yeah. We got tasked. We were, there was a, an omelette team I was working with, so six of us, and it was about 30 a and We went out to support an operation, the 1st Battalion, the Royal Anglians, where they were part of the 12th Mech Brigade. Mm. And um, they were going to do a clearance of everything between the 611 Highway and the Helmand River from Sangin DC all the way up to Juice Lay where we were and through and link up with another... Royal Angling Company to the oh, to the northwest, I think it was. Anyway, they got delayed and we didn't know that. So we got pushed out in what they were calling a block position. We were just going to sit there and whatever they pushed up, we were going to, you know, we were going to interdict, which is Classic. just a fancy word of saying you're going to lay down cast, there and ambush the net. shit. Yeah. You're going to ambush the shit out of everything that comes yeah. to your front. Mm. So we got there in position and our orders were you will be no longer than six hours. Mm. 
So we took, you know, five litres of water, a meal, mm. you know, enough MO to shink a sink a ship. You always took enough MO for yeah. that. Then we got this order. It was, it's the sun come up. It was about nine o'clock in the... No, probably wasn't even that. It's probably about 7.30, quarter, eight in the morning. We got an order. ICOM chatter is saying that there's some Taliban to your front in a wadi. Can you push forward to clear this wadi? And it was the, that was what kicked it off. We got halfway across a poppy field and I can just remember the tree line lighting up the fire. Awesome. And I, at the time it wasn't. It was like... Yeah. I cannot get any lower to the ground. Yeah, You know, it was like one of those things where you can remember back to a Tully DS going, get on your guts. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, that's ringing in my ears, get on your guts, all right, you don't need to yell it to me. You weren't getting hit by a cane. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and so it started from that morning and yeah. the bloke I've become really good mates with, Stuart Perry, he was off to my, he was slightly to my front to the mm. right and he was carrying a minimai and a day pack, it was just full of ammunition. And as he dove to the ground, the pack come up over his head and pinned him face first onto the ground. He couldn't get up. Mm. And I was on the ground and there was poppies. Like, I, I can still remember it. You know, the poppies around my head exploding from mm. the bullets hitting them. I had, I've got my backpack at home. It's got holes shot through it, my backpack. And so I waited for- So it's a, a le legitimate ambush. Oh, it was shocking. It was, yeah. yeah, it was like, go, you know, clear the wadi. We made a poem about it and started taking them, you know, just just push forward and clear the wadi, they said, you know, oh. like, clear the wadi, my ass. Good British humour. Yeah, yeah. I waited for a little bit of a lull in the battle and I'm like, God, I hope these guys get a stoppage soon. And the fire died down a little bit enough for me, enough to get forward to get the steward and pull his backpack off. And I grabbed, I said, just get your backpack and I'll get your gun and go. And I drug the backpack and we got back to, to the, the forward side of a building and drove into a ditch. And it turns out we dove into the piss, the piss and shit ditch. Of course you did. You know. <laughs> so we're laying there and it stinks. And we're having a bit of a giggle to ourselves and yeah. bullets are whizzing over our head. I said, right, mate, on three, we'll get up and we'll get the hell out of here. And on three, we go to stand up and we both slip and fall face first back into the mud and an RPG slammed into the wall right yeah. above our head. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, mate. There's, someone is on our side today. And we scampered around the building and we ended up pinned in that building. Mm. So I ended up taking a, the GPMG and just running out to behind a little berm in a, in a like it was a plowed poppy field and getting behind that and just strafing the whole tree line. And then we got out of there and we regrouped, withdrew, and then we dropped the JDAM on the building and that leveled the whole building. And then we thought, all oh, right, oh, that's, that's probably enough excitement for the day. But, you know, that was only you know, nine o'clock in the morning. We pushed forward again and all they did was just kept luring us forward. The A and A kept chasing in and chasing in. And then what happened was we got caught in another They go they go hard. Yeah, the they, well, they, the they hooked in. They yeah. hooked in. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And we we went we went after them. Probably, you know, whether you can say, you know, we were a little bit too keen and we got mm. caught in a they call it a come on, you know, whatever it was. Mm. But but what had happened is we got pinned between two buildings and we knew where they were. We could see the muzzle flashes and hear the fire and everything. And we said, like, you know, it was at that stage where the Americans and the British were kind of starting to mentor the Afghans. That's where it first mm. started, you know. And we're like, we're trying to talk. Phil Herman, who was the, the omelette commander, was like trying to, you know, through the interpreter, you know, we need to get this done and, you know, you need to do this. And they're like, right, we'll Slows get that. everything down. Yeah, yeah, we'll get that done, but we need one of you blokes to come with us. We're mm. not doing it without, you know, British a British mm. sort of input. So he called everyone here and he's like, right, oh, the A&A &A are going to go forward and cross this poppy field and get into there and they're going to sweep through and they'll clear out this ambush site, but they're not going to do it without one of us going with them. And I was like, oh, yeah, right, oh. He goes, I can't go because I'm commanding the uh, the omelette team. You know, Steve Ross can't go because he's the sniper and Barney can't go because he's the medic and oh, wow. Stu Perry can't We're go because he's the gunner the and, and Big Barney can't go because he's the, he's the signaller and I was just sitting there on my own just going, right. That's it. And I was like, I was only joking, you know, like, that's what your job you go and yeah. do. And I was like, is that how this is fucking going to be, is it, boss? <laughs> the random Australian, what's he like, fucking Gallipoli all over again, yeah. you know? Like, and he kind of, like, he might have thought I was serious. I'm only joking, you know? Like, and before he had even put a full stop on that sentence, so I just grabbed the interpreter and I said, mate, just get on my ass. And I tapped the section commander on the head and I said, just follow me, mate. And 
we just hauled ass about 200 metres across this field. Same again. Yeah. We made it over there without any, you know, any casualties whatsoever. And then I just pushed two guys in front of me and we just swept up, you know, swept up through that area mm. and cleared it all out. And same again, no casualties. And, you know, we cleared out another area and that got us to about maybe lunchtime. Um, then we pushed down. We we're running out of water. You know, we'd only taken five mm. litres of water. So we're like, you know... Everyone had Puri tabs. Like, we've got to go and find a well or we've got to find something for water. And the A&A, like, oh, we'll get down to the Helmand River and we'll get some water and that. And so we wandered down to the Helmand River and, and then it just it kicked off again, you mm. know, and then we ended up... Everyone had the same idea. Yeah, you know, we're going mm. to get a drink. And basically what happened was we sort of got our backs pinned towards the river and we got a little disjointed in that last, the last part of the day and we lost, not lost a couple of A&A, they got separa- separated, it's a mm. better word, and we couldn't find them as it was getting dark. And the actual A&A commander was killed in an RPG, they airburst an RPG. And I went out, it looked like they were going to roll through the whole position. So I went out to the to the flanking position and sort of like, you know, you, know, you spit lock a few pits in and just put a few down. And How many guys did you have then? We were down to about maybe 28 by then. So the six of us and 28 of them, and it seemed like about a bazillion Taliban. The place is like fleas mm. with them. And yeah, so we got them into position. We got we got enough fire down range. It mean another two another A&A blokes went out and we got this A&A commander in. It was... Real bad for morale because he was very well liked. He was ex Mujahideen fighter, so he, you know, he was yeah. he loved the punch on. You know, yeah. it was obvious that he was, you know, when someone's missing the top of their head and you know, yeah. you, know, so, mate, you just yeah. know when you look at it like you're not going to come out of that. But for the sake of everyone else around me, we're going to band you up and we're going to, you know, be positive and shit mm. like that. And mm. it was a real hard thing to do because you could tell how upset these guys were. And we've this is day one. Mm. We didn't realise that that we were only meant to be out there for six hours. And this is the end of day one, and we were out there for another four days after that. Yeah. And I was, and that was basically where this this medal fell out of all that action on that day, on that initial first day, and it just it didn't seem like it wanted to end. You know, like yeah. I think I had about eight seconds sleep that night and. Mm. Even the next morning when we woke up, I woke up, I was next to, you know, the, the sniper that was with us, a bloke by the name of Steve Ross, and we ended up nicknaming him Stone Cold Steve Ross. And if you'd met him in person outside of a uniform, you'd think he was the battalion padre. He was that nice of a fella, but he's just, mm. you know, he's one of those guys, you're just like, thank God he's on my side, you yeah. know, and you watch him at work. Mm. That's just brutal watching him at work. So, but yeah, that was that was how it all fell out. You know, if I can, that's probably a bit long-winded in the description. No, not at all. I mean, it's it's... It's one of those things where it's hard to do it justice. Yeah. You know, and I've done it justice for me because I can visualize having been in similar circumstances for protracted periods. But for young guys listening who are thinking about joining the military, it's like, how do you explain to someone the most frightening and the most exciting day that you'll of ever. your life yeah. relived 10 times over yeah. in one day? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very dangerous thing. I come home and, you know, oh, I, had, mate. I had a few mental health dramas mm. when I come home. Well, a few is probably mm. an understatement. And I was. I spoke to a really nice guy, a psychologist here, and he gave me the best piece of advice I've ever had because I own a motorbike. He said, I want you to do me a favor and I want you to promise me to do me. I want you to put your motorbike keys away for three months. He goes, you guys that come home after this, he goes, you'll come to the realization eventually and Mm. it's going to be a savage realization that you will never, ever in your whole life feel that good again. I know. Ever. So let's, let's, let's investigate one thing, right? Because I've always wanted to talk about it with someone who's been there, you know, in that sort of intense environment, what is that release you get when you hear the first gunshot oh, gun cracking off? You know what I mean? It's a little bit. It's of like sh- a re- absolute relief, yeah. isn't it? It's awesome, and and you can understand the pressure. Never felt it before, and you I've know, never had it since. I watched it in the eyes of some of my blokes in Afghanistan in 2011 as the time went by mm. when nothing happened, mm. and it's 
that pressure cooker of nothing happening mm. can be as bad as something really traumatic happening. Because if you think of, and I said it to a couple of my section come on, so you really need to keep an eye on these blokes, you know. Mm. I said before I come over, I hope we don't have to fire a shot. And I still live by that. And I hope mm. the shot's not fired of us. But as that pressure cooker gets bigger and bigger of nothing happening, mm. and we get closer and closer to coming home, mm. people's asses start to pucker a lot more. Yeah, it's a different thing at the you end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it is, you're right, it's a relief. I that suppose, first shot goes, yeah. you know, and you finally get your own first rounds off, it's just like, right, yeah. right, I've waited X amount of years for this to happen or, you know, so. You know, the special ops task group, every time we rolled out the wire, it was on. Yeah. And there was there was times when we had six. I've said this on the podcast before. We were out there, meant to be out there for three days, and we were out there for six yeah. days. And if the enemy had known that we had no water, no food, oh, down man. to our last magazine, we were all carrying one spare battery for our M biters yeah. because the you know the Harris's were already dead for yeah. those that know know. Yeah. And and we and it was a brownout, and we're waiting for someone to fly in it to come and get us. Yeah. And we were, we were at absolutely fucked yeah you know? you know you're as at your most vulnerable and you just yeah. you know you'd only need something you know yeah. if you've got you and, know, the, and those gun battles were rolling gun battles yeah. with all sorts of fighters not just bloody taliban yeah and <laughs> you if know, you, you think about day. it too if you're got those you mm. know those afghanistan attachments with mm. you mm. that's when you're thinking oh, i've got to have a lot of trust in these oh, guys man. one 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 phone yeah. call hey these guys are out of water and ammo you, yeah you're done you know like they're yeah. rolling through your oh, i had 100 percent, yeah 100 faith in the guys oh we i had. was the same yeah. like you know i, was, I had a, an interpreter that i was a little bit shifty like he'd listen to his icom all day and i'm not exactly sure what happened we had a very big incident one afternoon, which I think resulted potentially in the death of the son, the oldest son of the Taliban commander in a place called Musakala. I know it, yeah. And um, it, you know, it was known to the you know, the, especially the three para, the para mm. parachute regiments, the Badlands. You know, like they'd gone in there and had some particularly fierce fighting in there. And um, yeah, so we had this interpreter who's like, you know, things are kicking off. You know, we have, I think our base or our platoon house got hit like four times in mm. one day and what big proper attacks. And um, he come running and he goes, oh, you know, that they've just said, you know, over the radio that they're going to overrun us this afternoon and chop our heads off and mm. put it on you and whatever it was. And I was like, get the hell out of here. You're not coming in here like this. I've got... Me and the bloke with the name of John uh, Cadell, we yeah, must they, have put Yeah, like, they are. <laughs> I said, if they want to come in the back door, they can. I've got like 30 yeah. banked claymores waiting for the first yeah. person that tries to come through the back door here. Anyway, he goes away and he comes back an hour later dressed in civilian attire, like a man, an Afghan man dress, thing wrapped around his head. And I was like, dude, you're like, you're about to do a runner, you know? Like, So we had to watch him like a hawk. Yeah. Because he was like, and I don't blame the guy. He was terrified. Yeah. He was like, oh, I'm going to get my head cut off this afternoon. I was like, you're not going to get your head. Rafi's no. Yeah. Rafi, you're not going to get your head cut off, mate. Yeah. Just calm down. And that's when he'd come back and all his, his gears, his boots are off and he's got his little turbo yeah. thongs on. He was at him and he was going to be out of there. I was like, mate, calm down. Wouldn't you know? have got like, far. No, no. The A&A would have shot you. You went out the door, you know. Like, yeah. But the, even then, the A&A were like, yeah, whatever, you know. Like we've got the whole front walls covered in machine guns. Yeah. And, you know, and like, people don't realise, like, I, and I'm not having a pissing contest with an MG winner, by the way. But <laughs> um, but the, the DSM that I won, one of the actions won, was awarded, was um, one of the actions was at a, uh, you know, we were sitting inside a um, compound and it had it had been a Dutch compound before we got there and we didn't know that. And before that, it had been probably a Russian compound. <laughs> so all the Taliban for 100 kilometres around knew this place. They knew the arcs of fire. They knew everything about it. When when they hit us, my, my boss was in an overwatch position with the CSM up on a hill. And when they heard the rate of fire go into this place, they were like, oh, there's, there's no Can't one. Can't be anyone alive. There's no one alive. Yeah. And that went for 15 minutes. Yeah. And one of my mates, 
Actually, it was my signal. I think it was a signaler. He turns to me and he goes, you know, the Australian Army could learn a lot about resupply from these fuckers. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are not carrying that much ammunition. No, and we, and what, what we, we waited and we drew them in and drew them in and drew them in. And what we hit them back with would have been just as surprising because it was it was aggressive, it was sustained. Yeah. And it was, yeah, chasing them. But, yeah. um, you know, and and it just, that sort of shit just used to excite the hell out of me. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Like I, I got to the point where I got a, you know, I'm the commander running between pit to pit to pit trying to because we couldn't hear each other yeah, no. and our radios were now yeah. we had no batteries left yeah so i'm now going from pit to pit to pit to try and tell guys this is where they're coming from this is not where where we think they are you know and then i was what i was burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware weather ready teak and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. One of the guys who, won, who, who was awarded a Star of Gallantry, I've got to stop saying one, it's not like a, Yeah. Yeah. And um, he was awarded a Star of Gallantry, and he, he fired a minimi until that thing broke. It broke off the end. Like he... Destroyed this yeah. minimi. I can, yeah, well, but it was, it was it's still, weird. Like, it's still I, one of those days I'd go and relive. No, oh fuck, I would. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd be it, there and do it all. Sometimes again. I think like my wife's like, I don't know, because like, I, I when I first met my, my wife, I was like, you know, I really like this girl, and you know, eventually I'm gonna have to tell her about some of this stuff. So I was very careful, you know, I don't want her to think yeah. I'm a complete psychopath. And but even she, like when I, you know, I said she's my wife now, so even she was like, I don't know how. How you blokes function under that type yeah. of stress, you know, yeah. like it. Not only is it hot, and you're probably hungry and tired, and you've been eating shit food, and yeah. but now you got someone trying to kill you, and you're worried about the blokes around you. I don't know. I understand. I'm like, it's weird. Everything else around seems to just stop, yeah. and you're only worried about your own little space and just what's going on in your peripheral vision. You know, I'm going to take a look over my shoulder every now and then, because I want to make sure everyone behind me is okay. But I've really got to concentrate on what's going on. You know, I don't have time. It's a bit overwhelming. Yeah, it is. You know, like and. I've, I said I had a, an argument about it, and not an argument, a debate about it when I was down in Singleton with an officer down there. It was like, you know, they were talking about um, when guys go fetal or, or, or freak out in a firefight. And they're like, oh, you know, they should be immediately sent home and blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, you know, does anyone nah. got any difference to that? And I said, you're damn right I do. That's a load of bullshit. I said, you know, there were days when I woke up, and I'm not frightened a minute. There were days where I'd woke up and I'd gone, I've got a real bad feeling about today. I haven't slept well. I, I can't do this today. And I'd ask, you know, one of the, hey, can you step in for me today? I just, I'm not, my head's not in the game today. I didn't yeah. sleep well. I've got, you know, it feels like someone's walked over my grave. I'm going to be useless tonight. Oh, no drums. Okay, good to go. We would do it for each other. Yeah. Because you're under so much stress. If you don't manage it and yeah. be a human, you're gonna, you will, you might be the bravest dude in the world for 99 days out of 100, and that breaking point comes, and all of a sudden you're in the fetal position. Yeah. Because you haven't, not that you haven't managed your stress, but you haven't given yourself an opportunity, just like, right, I just gotta take stock of what's happened here. Yeah. This is so far out of the normal. Like, I've had a bullet explode a poppy mm. bulb next to my head about 30 centimeters away. Yeah. The, the tin on my 50 cal has two holes in it from where, yeah. you know, two bullets have gone through, and I've, I've got, you know, it's back before helmet cams and then I've got this little, I can't remember what they had, a little Canon steel camera and I was mm. filming it and I said, oh, you know, just giving a bit of run and commerce then, ting, and I just was like, oh, fuck it, I'm out, turned it off and I just, and I just sat down the back and said, I've yeah. had enough of the day, you know. I, I've had, I, I wrote yeah. it in this, it's in this book <clears throat> that I'm releasing. Yeah, I've been, I've been laying down behind a wall and had rounds slamming into the, the compound next to me. Yeah. And all the dust and shit like that is yeah. going over your face and it mixes with the sweat around your collar. Yeah. And you're just like, if I could 
and if I could just get my hands on that fucker, yeah, like I would ring his neck. To, whenever our base or our, our platoon house, whatever they used to call it, used mm. to get attacked, which is basically every day, yeah. you know, multiple times a day, we'd be up on the roof and we'd sand, like we'd sandbag that thing under fire. They'd yeah. seen us come in next minute, you know, we'd on our belly sandbag. And you guys uh, one mortar per platoon as well back then. We had one. There was we were very lucky. In our omelette team. There were three mortarmen. Myself, yeah. a pommy MFC, game changer. Oh, brilliant. I couldn't sell that hard enough to oh. wider infantry to start and, carrying and platoon mortars. I but, carried a 51mm yeah. mortar with me in my backpack. Yeah. And I was just brilliant. I used to Personal open, weapon. I used to open <laughs> doors with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, we used to, I didn't realize how close everything was to hitting me. Like, cause you'd be down behind a gun beyond this sandbag wall, fire and back. And I'm like, mm. this sandbag wall doesn't seem as big as what it was before. No. And the sand had been leaking out the front of them mm. where the constant tap, tap, tap of these bullets slamming in these sandbags. It's like, oh man, you know what? And that was a real wake up moment as well because, you know, you, you think that, oh, you know, they're four or 500 meters away. You know, they've got an old Russian PKM or whatever it is or they're firing it up in the air like this with their eyes closed. No. no, they're not. They're ranging you in and yeah. they're very, very close. Yeah. I didn't bring the photo, but that building that we were on top of, we were sitting up on top of, John Cadell was sitting on top of it. I was asleep in the room with Stuart Perry, Stuart Perry mm-hmm. and it was real hot in the afternoon and we're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go get my head down. You know, we'd been up all night and we hear the RPGs fire. Yeah. And then fucking boom, the whole wall exploded. Shit. A Russian SPG nine round hit the no. wall. Exploded <laughs> through the wall. I'm I was, laugh. Sorry, man. I was, no, no. I was sitting upright, upright in my in my mozzie net, getting. I was like, oh, geez, you know, like, thank God for that, you know, like the RPGs, a bit of an alarm clock. Then, boom, all this dust comes in my eyes, and I start burning because all the hot frag has hit me in the chest. And then I just look at looking around. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, that's, that's a probably a good shot. Oh, it's a brilliant shot. Yeah. You know, from 450 meters away. Yeah. And I'm looking around, thinking that's got to have taken Stuart's head off, and he comes wandering out of the dirt, you know, yeah. through his teeth. I'm like, "You all right, mate?" And he's burst his eardrum, and mm. we get out onto the position. Like that's not a that's not a timer or anything no. for people listening. That's oh. a guy creeping up with that thing. Yeah, like it's just, it's like a it's a recoilless anti, big anti tank recoilless. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. A and A had one, and yeah. you, you needed two double hearing protection. Yeah. The thing was right, fucking Russians, is, man, they make some evil shit. This is the simple fact. And I've said this before, the simple fact that those guys fired two RPGs first before they fired that SPG-9 is the only reason I'm alive. Yeah. Because when I got back into the room and had a look around, I zipped my mozzie net back up just to assess, do I need a new mozzie net? Oh, that would have saved you. Oh, yeah. But where my head was where the pillow was, yeah. there was a hole that had gone straight through and had gone through my pillow. Yeah. And I pulled a piece of frag, molten frag, out of the wall opposite my pillow as big as my thumb. I was right? going to bring it in. And I'm like, I looked around. I was just like, right. I kept it myself. I didn't say much to anyone about it because mm. we're pulling frag out of the wall everywhere. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you know. And I was just like, for ages, it sat with me for, you know, for years. I'm like, yeah. you know, like, if they had a opened up with their big gun first, I would have went down for a nap that afternoon. Yeah, but you know up. why they don't? Because it's I'd, a tactic, right? Yeah. They, they're, draw, they're drawing you to step, yeah. to stand up and have a look. And then... Yeah. When I'd put my vehicles into a uh, sort of like a harbour out, yeah. out in the mountains, so just far enough out of the mountains, the RPGs couldn't hit us. They fired about three 10... I think they're 106s. I think there's a photo that on my phone. I'm going to yeah, do it. They threw. They fired about three one oh sixes at us, yeah. and they just sailed straight over oh. the top of the vehicles and slammed into the mountain and caused like it's, a rock avalanche down the side. It's outrageous, you know. Like I just think, like, oh, just how many close calls can? But you see, they're on. They're on washing machine timers. Yeah, and so I think they're one oh sixes, one oh six, one oh seven, and um, yeah. So they're not there. So it doesn't matter what you fire back at them. You they're know. gone anyhow. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Adam, I want to. I want to show you the photo of the outside of this wall because it's like a spiderweb of frag. It's what was the trip like with? With two, uh, little, different, little, little different. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
more constrained, I would assume. Massively. I had a mate. I don't mean to be contentious, but. I bumped into a mate from two commands. Because I've been with yep. the, the Brits, um, the Royal Marines in, yeah. in 2008. I bumped into a mate of mine from two commander who was, was in Charlie Company 2RO with me at the, you know, the NAFI or whatever you want to call it, front line. There yeah. he goes, be a carton of Cronus, you don't last the whole trip. Yeah. I was like, geez, thanks, mate. You know, like, oh, no, I'm going to keep me in. He goes, nah, something's going to happen here and you're going to get the shits. You're going to say something. Someone's going to get said. So you're going to hurt someone's feeling and you're going to get the ass and get sent home. No way. Spot on. Is that what happened? Yeah. And, okay. I, was, and I was happy for it. I'd yeah. had enough. You know, yeah. I'm like, if this is what the micromanaging bullshit <sighs> that is. We're on, we're on operations in a warlike theatre here. Yeah. I can't get a resupply of fucking toilet paper. Yeah. I had to take vehicles down to Tarrant break into a yard, mm. steal supplies. To, I'm know, sorry to hear that. Yeah. You know, like, and that's not it was, what it should be like. I, I don't want to go too much into it because I know a lot of guys, you know, I'm talking about sections of guys discharging mm. after that trip. Mm. Sections of guys discharge. Not just, you know, oh, yeah, I've had enough, mate. I mean, I'm talking about full sections of bloke going, you know what? If that's the best of all, like, trip with, you know, any. I want to make, I want to make excuses for the, for the obvious people that would have been dishing out that mate, of, I, I'm, of I'm of the mindset that mm. I'm, I'm very honoured to have got the chance to have gone I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, you know you go with your own army on any deployment that's good mm. and I was really lucky I had a great platoon commander and I knew that he was going to be a good commander a platoon commander because the chain of command did not like him I'm like right I've got a good one here yeah. and, <laughs> I, and I even he went through and he, he you know the blokes loved him you know as a junior officer a brand new platoon commander literally strolled from you know RMC into 2RAR mm. brilliant Mm. Blokes loved him. He was fit and strong, led by example in everything he did, what a platoon commander should do. Mm. And he seemed to get railroaded at every chance. Everyone seemed like, oh, this guy shouldn't be here. And I was doing the sticks lanes, getting ready out at high range to go. Mm. And I had staff from CTC come up to me and go, Hugo, you need to get your platoon commander sorted out with his orders and that. Otherwise, we're going to recommend to the OC and CO to take him off the trip. And I, I took one of these blokes aside who I knew and I said, you need to, number one, part of my French, mind your own fucking business. Mm. This is an RTF fucking three and we're not patrolling olive fields here. Mm. All right. I understand you're at CTC. You and I are the same rank. Mm. I said, you can't tell me that the same tactics are going to work. That's mm. doomed to fail, mm. you know. Mm. You know, RAR guy that's got, you know, got an MG, you know. Right. That's, that's correct. You know, yeah. a good mate of mine, Sean Lanigan, he's down six RA. He's got one as well. You know, there's. Um, Dan's got a VC so there's guys out there that have stuck their nose probably in where they didn't want to stick it in you know yeah. so and it's and it's I think it's one of those good things where you know yep we, we're not part of the special forces community we're the regular infantry but we're still willing to get mm. our hands very dirty and, and we're still want to get our job done you know mm. Look, looking back yeah maybe it might be a little bit it's, it just wasn't aggressive enough for my yeah. mind it was one of the things that I liked about the British Army was the aggressive they nature are, of yeah. it like I I was under but the way that the British Army worked was they had something similar to a yellow card, something similar to a red card. And then when you were in the Helmand province and you crossed a certain northing, you went onto this thing. I think it, I'm probably going to get called out and get bombed online. I think it was called Mandate 429 Alpha. And it was a different ROE altogether. Okay. It was very similar. You're in war. Very similar to the ROE you guys would have been operating on where you could you could interact with people that were actively spotting you. And I don't mean by go up and say, hey, put your phone away. I mean by putting a bullet through their phone. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah. that was, I looked and I thought, you know, the British Army let a fire warning shot. So if you see someone digging on the road, mm. before you shot them in the leg and detained them, you could fire a warning shot to scuttle them away. If there was mm. kids, you know, not that I, you know, I, you know warning shots, it's probably not my thing. I don't really. No, me either. I'm not a warning shot type of bloke. I never was, mm. you know. You know, that, that was one of the things that I noticed was this real aggressive posture. And I'd never been, 
you know, I'd left the Australian Infantry Battalion where the biggest section weapon was a GPMG. Mm. You know, I roll into an omelette team of six men and we've got, you know, a G, like a, a Mark 19 on the roof. Every vehicle's got a 50 cal on it. You know, I think I'm the only Royal Australian Regiment Mortarman to ever fire a javelin live on, mm. a, you know. And, awesome. You know, the anti-armour platoon sergeant, mm. I crapped onto him so much about how awesome Australia was. He laterally transferred. He's oh. now, and he's here now in Townsland too. He lives about two minutes away from me. That's cool. And he's a dude that showed me how to fire a javelin. So, What's the best weapon, you reckon, for, I mean, I've got one in my mind right now. Best weapon that changes the tide of a battle, do you think, oh. in our arsenal? In the Australian, I say yeah. for ground forces yep. or whatever you can call up on a radio. Nah, ground force. Oh, what you can yeah. carry with you. I've got one definitely in my mind. I bet every single guy in two commandos got the same Portable weapon. mortar? Oh, it's close. For my money, it's the lightweight 84. Single shot job? The, 80, the, the 80, No, no, no. Or no, the no, new cargo stuff. New, the the yeah, new one. Right yeah. On. Unbelievable. I've never we would, seen it, yeah. we, we, There is not one mission I did where I would not plan to take that fucker with us. Yeah, really? Yeah, because you... If you can carry the rounds, you'll fire them, for starters. Fire that back at the enemy. They go quite yeah. very fast. I'd, if I was to retract that, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping young, there's a few young infantrymen out there listening to this. Everyone crapped on for years about, oh, we don't get to do any demolitions work and what about yeah. explosive entry and all that. And I was always of the opinion, like, we have 700 grams of C4 composite and explosives mm. and 700 ball bearings that can mm. blow a door down, mm. clear a room with. Mm. You know, so I'm, you know... We use claymores to knock doors down, mm. clear rooms with claymores, mm. you know, and, and it was nothing I ever thought of. I never mm. ever looked at the claymore as anything more than a, de you know, mm. defensive mm. type mm. weapon. And then I start watching these clued on British Army engineers and they're just like, no, nah, no, nah, put a half hitch around it, mate, and mm. just make sure you've got the clacker and your dickhead, you know, your geezer mate doesn't have it, yeah, yeah. throw it into the room and clack it, you know. Yeah. If it doesn't kill everyone, it's going to have their ears ringing and they're going to be the dust full of eyes. And I'm like, yeah, yeah right, I, 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 you know. And this is all stuff that I learnt. You know, the day or two yeah. days before I actually went to Afghanistan with them, you know, like because of the new because of the new laws that came out in my last tour, you know, where we weren't allowed to blow make entry in through walls and doors yeah. and stuff. The ladder became very, yeah. very, very you know smart piece of equipment. Yeah, still, ladder and silent teams and yeah. MVGs and yeah. suppressed weapons and blah blah blah. Um, they re really yeah. clued on, and that was probably the difference. I know it's like they're, they're mm. really good lateral thinkers to use because they'd ask me, I know what, but we know, we we should be, yeah. But we are. But we're, we are. we're not, not really given them. not really given the opportunity yeah. to. I be. think it seems you know. Like, I didn't realise until I went to Singleton and I was doing my range call down there that, you know, when you do a range practice with the blokes, you can put a claymore on the ground and as long as you're twenty metres back behind it on the ground with the helmet on, you can fire it. Yeah. You know, for years, but oh, get on, get on the cover, get on yeah. the hard cover. We're flying the claymore. You know, I can sit out here the back with a helmet on, laying on my stomach. So, but yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. I think everyone's. I reckon people wouldn't be sick of us. Spinning worries, but um, we can do another podcast about that. Yeah. Um, so let me drop the elephant in the room. <laughs> what one? The move towards social transformations within the ADF. Oh god. Um, yeah. What do you think you know, about? I sit up on the table and you don't have a spew bucket for me. <laughs> what do you think about what's going on? Oh right, eh? I, I don't care who I offend or who who. You know, get sand in their ass. And we've talked about this before. I'm saying yeah. you can have a platform to say whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, no, and no. I'll, and I'll... I think it's the biggest load of bullshit there is. And it's it's mm. basically what happens, I think, you know, in my opinion, I don't think the army will ever recover from the damage that was done to it by David Morrison. He turned the army into his own social experiment. Mm. Um, and we've just got the flow on effect from it now. The army's not 
I think I used when I wrote that open letter to Angus Campbell about that, you know, the death symbols and all that, and I used a quote that the I think it was Colonel Tim Collins from the British Army. He said, mm-hmm. "You can either have an army that wins, or you have your army, you know, is a reflection of society. You can't have both." Mm-hmm. And at the moment, it's pretty smart words. You know, at the moment, it's pretty obvious what direction we're taking. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got you know, was it gender quotas? Mm-hmm. You know, we talked of it. You know. I think you've mentioned this before about how you've, you know, you've, you're losing friends over the whole ADM thing about how, you know, the qualifying times are cut in half for some, some you know, like girls in certain roles now. As a, you know, blokes got to spend four years. Some girls have got a Rosso or two, and you know, so you can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for every job, you know, whatever. I don't care. I could yeah. not give two shits, but make it all equal. Yeah, it has to be equal. Leave it, know? leave it. You know, so I mean, I, and I, and I say this, and people know. I've said this before on social media. There's been since I left the military. There's been girls hand me my ass in CrossFit. I know that I know oh, yeah. there's yeah. I know there's women out there who would destroy that selection yeah. course, given the chance, if they wanted to join. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. Do you want to join? But yeah. you can. I think you know. I think the dude. Obviously, he's not currently. And I've been the OC of selection, by the way. So yeah. that's not that's not like I'm saying that from yeah. from not having an understanding. Like but, I understand it intimately. It's hard. I've got my passionate beliefs on it, mm. and. You know, I don't agree with it today. Mm. I didn't agree with it yesterday, and I won't agree with it tomorrow. That's with, about with, women in the girls in the infantry, okay. and that's that's my personal yeah. opinion. And I and I'm well, we, can, gonna, we can we can we're, we're men we're yeah. men enough to disagree with it. Absolutely, yeah. I, I I get that, and I'm a girl. I do a bit of crossing myself. I've yeah. seen plenty, and you know, I watched the final of the CrossFit Games tonight. You know, all the summer morning. So mm. there's plenty of girls. I just, you know, I think it screws with the dynamic. Mm. It is a different no, dynamic, no yeah, doubt about it. Yeah. I think it screws with the dynamic, mm. and I think the statistics as far as how many of these, you know, these young girls who are thrusting young professional military females are getting hurt in the process. Mm. That was put out through the Senate inquiry, you know, and I think I've seen the statistics. Mm. You know, there's, you know, upwards of eighty percent of them are getting injured through yeah. this through this process. You don't want to see that, you know. You'd, you don't want to be going through your military training and pick up life altering mm. injuries, you know. And see, the way I see it is. Sorry, man. Okay. No, okay. The, the way I see it is, you get a, you get a profile of a job of a mission. Let's say a mission, special forces mission, yep. infantry mission. You get that profile and you work out what does it take to be successful through that mission, and then you work back and you work out the characteristics of it. Yep, mate. I was in platoons. You know, I'm not going to name. There's guys who are fucking snowflakes that oh, yeah. I was with. Yeah, and I've met women who'd kick their ass. Yeah. I agree. And I would rather some of them. There's a Scottish chick I remember from who handed me my ass in bloody in uh, in Dubai, and I used to think to myself that chick is a warrior. Yeah. If she if she'd been in the army, I'd have had her next to me. No worries at all, yeah. you know. And so for me, it's like build a profile, understand it, you know, and then understand what it takes, the characteristics yeah. it takes, and then and then set the bar at that level. I I think the way because, that because, because just sorry, man, just no. the, the only the reason I'm passionate about it is because I'd hate to think. And I had boys, I didn't, I didn't have girls, but I'd hate to think if I'd had a daughter or if there's a chick out there who goes, I want to do this job. Well, you can't. Why? Well, you're a chick. Yeah, I've got two daughters myself. So, so I, sh- I she understand should be able to do anything that. she wants to do. But the, this is the way that I look at it, and it's, it's my main argument for mm. being against it. If, and, and, I, and I would direct this to any feminist mother out there that listens to this and, and wants to come up to Townsville and scratch my eyes out while she's screaming at me. Righto. Let's just say this, you know, extremely third wave feminist mother has daughters who she wants to join the army. Excellent. Let's say she also has a son who's an infantry soldier. All right. The job of an infantry soldier is already dangerous. All right. So if I was to say to that mother, would you mind if I made a change to your son's job that 
could potentially make it just a little bit more dangerous, would you be okay with that? Mm. I wouldn't know any mother of any infantry soldier that go, no dramas with that. I don't mind you making my son's job dangerous, a little mm. bit more dangerous at all. Even if it, it may not. You may get, as you said, these robust weapons of girls come in and do this really well. But is there a chance that putting these, these you know, most of I'm not saying they're not capable, but putting these girls in these frontline combat roles, is there even the minute chance that you could make a literally the world's most dangerous job half a percent, a quarter percent, one percent more dangerous? Mm. And if there is even the slightest chance you make that job any more dangerous, you put a line through it. Mm. It's like we're going to cut down the frontline ammunition, we're going to take your ammunition away, mm. you're making the job dangerous. Mm. We're not going to give you air support, you're making my job dangerous. Mm. So that's the mindset that I kind of have is that I would never ever want a decision made that makes the lives of people at more risk. Mm. If the decision made is going to increase combat power, mm. then yes, make it. Mm. But I'm not sold on this increasing combat power. Mm. And I think most people, you know, that if you sat down and you thought about it in that logical, does this decision increase combat power in every instance mm. or is a chance that we could decrease combat power and make this job more dangerous? Mm. I guess I've got to call it out. Like yeah. if, if, a, if a female is, is meeting the, the standard... I agree. If and she's met the standards, get into it. Well, that for, for me, the argument's not about whether women shouldn't be in infantry or not. It's just about have one standard. Yeah. Because there's been guys who, who I've served with over the years who probably, you know, they've probably been lacking yeah. in a few I've areas. instructed at single, yeah. I know all about it. You know, I mean, I used to look around the boozer in one hour back in the day during sporties. Yeah. And I'd look around at guys going, fucking half the battalion are a bunch of... Mm. Yeah. Well, you know you know what I mean. It's like run a it, we, want, we, want, we want to yeah. excel, we want excellence. Exactly. Don't lower the standard because the chief of army can't fit into his Sam Brown. Like yeah. increase the – I'm not saying anything about the current chief of army. In, increase the standards, if anything. I'd, I've, I've, we've been you – know I, mean? I think you most battalions – I'm over the CO over at 1RA. I think he used to. He said the 1RA CO's fitness test, I think, back in the early yeah. 2000s. Oh, man, if you didn't – Dale know. Sales, who, you know, like rest in peace. I can't remember who he was. He, he, he said – he used to say, you know, if you don't beat me in the cross country, yeah. you're on extras. Yeah, man, it was a fucking quick. I flew over today and saw Tank Hills now covered in bloody houses yeah. and shit. Yeah, well, yeah, three hours over the other side. Tank Hill now, so yeah. Um, all right. So I, in the fifteen years that I was in SF, so twenty years in the army in, in total, um, I'd served in every company in in the commando unit in yep. some way, and um, so I was fortunate enough to to have every single death symbology badge. Yeah. Um. As it's referred to, but you know what? It wouldn't have mattered if they'd been care bears and unicorns for me, to, yeah. truthfully, um, because the symbology was just something to rally around. Yep. And in fact, until it came out, until was it the chief defence force or chief? Chief of army, I believe. Chief well, of army. Is Angus the CDF now? Right. So, yeah. the, so when the directive came out, I looked at it and went, "Yeah, but I didn't even understand that. That's what the phantom was. Like that when they told the story about yeah. what it, about." You know about what that symbol yeah. represented because for me it represented the company I, you know, yeah. was in. Um, you know, I mean, it would have just made as much sense if it had been color patches and all the Australian flag or whatever. Yeah. But the those death symbologies, they're like a micro cultural identifier. I just saw it as a cool symbol. You know? yeah. like I, I don't understand the fucking. It, it goes for some people. It goes a little deeper, and I, I can I used the example when I was mm. um, I spoke with Rowan Dean. And Ross on the Outsiders and Sky News. It goes a little deeper, and some of those symbols have a great history with them. Mm. 
And I used the example of the boys from one RR in Vietnam, the platoon, the platoon name was the Lepers. Mm. It's probably not a story that you want to tell mm. online about how they got that. And um, then there was another platoon called I was, Body I was in Bravo Company. Yeah, the Body the Body one. Snatchers was another mm. another platoon in mm. one RR. Once again, a story for another time. Mm. But um, they had great history. Mm. Um, and that that's what I think got me so, not so upset about it. And as I said, when I first Defensive. seen yeah, yeah. I, I was like this, you know, come on. Mm. But, you know, you're expecting these guys to, you know, be trained killers, you know, and what, you know, la di da, and all of a sudden, a, you know, a Punisher skull or a Grim mm. Reaper, or mm. it's too much for Australian civilians to handle on a PT shirt or, mm. you know, paint on the side of a vehicle. I just, I, you know, I, and I still don't agree with it now. No. And, I, and I'm not going to change my stance on it. I don't agree with it. I think it's just, it's petty. Um, and it's it's more of that social engineering. Did you see the giant phantom skull on the side of the AWACS aircraft? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Air Force. Yeah, so I, you know, and where does it end? And yeah. was, you know, I, I was very careful. Like I, you know, I could have done what I normally do and wave my arms away and swear at everyone, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's why mm. I penned that open letter. You know, it's mm. probably you know one of the first things that I've written out that doesn't you know isn't calling someone an asshole or a dickhead in it. You know, but I penned it out. You know, in a man, I kept getting Mel, my wife, to check. You know, is this not, I'm not being too aggressive with this. I don't mm. want. To, I don't want it to come off like this. I want mm. everyone to be able to read this and see the train of thought that I'm trying to pick up here. Mm. You know, and and I used, you know, probably you know, any infantry soldier or SF guy's probably greatest you know achievement is ICB. I'm like, there's no more fearful emblem of death on battle than the bayonet. bayonet. Jesus, I've got to be in your own personal yeah. space to stick it in your chest or cut your you know yeah. cut your throat yeah. open with it anyhow. You're not going to start banning the mm. best thing that we wear on our pollies or wear on our suits mm. for Anzac Day. You know, it's mm. everyone's mm. you know and pride and joy. And there's you know there's two bayonets on an ACB as well. So, mm. and that's what I didn't understand. I'm like, I, where where does this end? Yeah. Where does it end? What is going to be the you know when you go into the, the army PAM or the army reading? What is the def- definition of a death symbol or offensive mm. iconography? You know, mm. where, where does it go? You know, like two RAR Charlie companies a dragon. Mm. You know, if you watch Game of Thrones, those dragons. Fly around, you know, burning people to death. Yeah, you know, is, a, is a dragon a symbol of death iconology? And I mean, I, I think you know, with that, I mean, we had the Punisher skull, obviously, in my yeah. last tour, and uh, you know, I was a leader, and sometimes we would do stuff that was kinetic yep. at night, and we'd have these have these things on, and in the morning, these people would be in no doubt of who came through their village and did a cordon search. But there was times when we took, you know, aid, and we were doing we we're doing, you know, what I used to call coin to contact. Yeah. You know, so we used to take aid to villages and stuff like that, and we might be working in an American AO or, or whatever. And I'd say to the boys, remove the remove all patches, remove everything yeah. other than your other than your blooming, you know blood group. Yeah, and it's just up to that commander to yeah. go at this point in time. This is inappropriate, or at this point in time. Yeah, you, you choose. Yeah, you know, and there might your, be a village where you're you where. Your well, not yeah. just that. It for me, it was we're going to a certain village where we want the Taliban to know these are the dudes who are coming for you. Yeah. And you might remember us from a few years ago, and yeah. we're coming back. Yeah. You know, because they, I mean, they're smart and they see all these symbols and they understand oh, who's they who in the, the zoo. Yeah. Absolutely, they do, yeah. mate. It's so like sometimes do. we would wear American. I bet this gets some mail. We used to wear American flags because I might be working with the USSF. Yeah, right. And eh? they're saying to us, we're bringing 110 dudes to come work with you guys. And we're all going to wear an American flag and, and they are never going to know how many of you there are. Yeah, that you've, you've, there's six, you've sold them a deception. Because there's six to eight of them working yeah. in a village security operation. Yeah. And suddenly they got 110. What the hell? You know? All over the valley for two weeks, yeah. and then they disappear again. They're like, "When are these dudes coming back?" Yeah. And then, 
you know, and and then the Americans don't want them to know that they're not Americans, you know, yeah. and things like that. So you got to be smart with these things. And I think it, for me, I read that, and it, my blood boiled actually when I read it initially. I, I was adamant, but I, but I, but I, I, got, I mean, I got some over it. But, cheeky little digger on his sub one for corporal that yeah. practiced right in a minute, and this was a joke. Yeah, I was adamant. I said, I said, I have to read it. This boat, not to mill. It's got to be a joke. Yeah, and all of a sudden I started getting some in. Inbox emails. Mm. No, I go, not a joke. It's full legit. And then I got the actual, yeah, the actual directive. So Jordan about. Jordan Peterson is a, a pretty famous, yeah, I know. Yep. yeah, Canadian, so dude, Canadian psych- yeah. psychologist. Yeah. He, he packs stadiums with like, yeah, you know, thousands of people. Talk like to him. Canada's Milo. He said something really interesting to Joe Rogan recently. Um, and by the way, Joe, I'm looking forward to coming on your podcast when you're ready. <laughs> um, he said something to him. He said uh, it was either to Joe Rogan or or uh, Lewis House. He said, oh, we, we know what it's like oh, absolutely. because we had Nazi Germany. Yeah, we, we, it's exactly right. And he said, but we don't know what it's like if the left goes way too far. We're getting a good look at it now. Well, he said maybe it already has. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is to have democracy and to have the democracy we live in, we need both sides. Yeah. You know, and yeah. someone needs to sit in the middle of it yeah. and mediate it. As annoying as the left the, is, the, yeah, I understand. Yeah, it. absolutely. Like I mean, I'm not. Toads, I'm not. Know, I'm not. not be able to get rid of them I'm all. not that far right of centre, and I'm not that far left of centre. But I'll tell you who myself. shouldn't be who shouldn't be regulating the left and the right is anyone in the military. No, no. But but that makes me wonder if perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it's uh, Minister for Defence that's passing this down. Yeah. Well, you know, I I. I personally, and I, and I want to say that because I'm a I'm a I'm a soldier through and through, yeah. and, a, I, and, an, and an officer, and I, I look at it and go, I, I tried, want him to be. I tried in vain to speak mm. to Maurice Payne. Mm. I tried, I rang her office, mm. passed on my details. I even said, "Oh, someone from the defence minister's office will ring you back. Is that okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's fine." Mm. Never got a phone call. Mm. All right, this and all that, and that's fine. You know, like I, I have nothing personal against Maurice Payne. She's probably a lovely lady, you know, and good for her. Great friend, you know, whatever. But what grinds my gears about it is when I think about the US military and their equivalent, Mad Dog Mattis. Mm. We have our defense minister has never served a day in the military in a life. Mm. And I'd be like, uh, I'm like, if I have got an electrical fault in my house, I'm not calling a hairdresser around to fix the electrical fault in my mm. house. That's dangerous. Mm. Just like I'm not going to get the electrician to give me a haircut because I'm going to look like a dickhead. Mm. And that just seems what's going on here. We've got. Or we've got good people that are, mm. you know, they're probably going to be very good in whatever their dictated field is. But yeah. you need to stay in your arcs of knowledge. You know, like I'm, if I've got a defence minister, I know we're not going to be able to get a mad dog Mattis, you know. But even, you know, if Maurice Payne's a really good politician, if she is, I don't, I don't know. Maybe the common sense thing is to do, hey, Maurice, we understand that you haven't got any military time. You know, much the same as when I was trying to take Dan Tien on when he was the minister for DVA. No time. Maybe we get you some advisors. We get you a, a solid team of military advisors, mm. external to you know ADF headquarters, just an impartial, you know, like, mm. and not just your run of the mill people still in you. Let's get some common sense people in there, some real soldiers in there. You know, here is how not to screw around with the morale of the enlisted men and women in the army, mm. air force, mm. and navy. Here's not what to do. Mm. You don't take their goddamn PT shirts off them because it's got a skull and crossbones on it. Yeah. You know, you don't no all of a sudden have gender quotas, you know, and have, you know, oh, you're a white male and you know, you're going to have to wait in line because there's, you know, other minority groups and girls in front of you now. It's It seems that it's gone from the best person for the job to 
who's deemed the most appropriate to make everything yeah. culturally accept acceptable. And it gives me the shits, you know? Mm. Like, I'm, I think that can't be good for us. That wraps it up for this week. Hey, gang, if you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. It makes a huge difference to us being noticed out there. If you'd like to support the podcast, please contribute on the Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash warrioru. There's different tiers of membership and some exclusive rewards in return. I promise you will love the perks. Go to patreon.com forward slash warrioru for more details. Next week on the show... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.